Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning, everybody. If you're joining us for the first time, um, we've been working our way through a sermon series on the book of James. And I've always loved the book of James because it's a very practical book. It reminds us that Christianity is not a faith that exists entirely up here. It is a faith that becomes exciting and interesting and alive when it works its way into our hands and our feet, when it affects the way we actually live. Uh, It's a book written by the younger brother of Jesus. And so it's a book whose writer was shaped by living and growing up in the same house as Jesus himself. And so he's not just writing about theory. He's writing about what it looked like when God became a human being and grew up through childhood and lived in a family, and he watched this man who was also his God, and he began to understand what God is trying to shape among us as he gives us his faith we call Christianity. See, it's powerful to think that Jesus Christ, the embodiment of everything that God is, lived a human life on full display so that in James's writing, we begin to see a little glimpse of what it might, might look like if we also live like that. And this morning, we've come to James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. And the title of the message is simply this, Doers of the Word. Be doers of the Word. Let me read the passage for you. It says, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I want you to imagine what it would look like or feel like to live in a world where mirrors didn't exist. Just think about that for a minute. If there was no such thing as mirrors, if there were no clear pools of reflecting water, if cameras didn't exist, think about what it would feel like to walk through life for some 80 years and have no real clue what you look like. I mean, sure, you'd have some sense. Am I tall? Am I short? Do I have a giant nose or a small nose? And... Um, looking around at your family, like, I think I know what ethnicity I might be. But imagine what it would feel like to go through your whole life and never once actually see what the rest of us see when we look at you. What would your self-image look like? Because everybody carries around a picture of themselves. I think if you're older than 25, 25 is when you freeze in your mind at what you look like and you refuse to accept that you don't look like that anymore. Um, or that your body is not as, as nubile and, and strong as it was then. But I, I think we all carry around this picture of what we look like. And as you age every morning, you get out of the shower, you look in the mirror, but you kind of blur your eyes and you don't look that intently, right? And so you have this sort of picture, vague picture of yourself, but do you know what you actually look like to the rest of us? And here's how you know um, when maybe there's a mismatch, if somebody goes, hey, I met a guy who looks just like you, and you see the guy, you're like, you think that guy looks just like me? 
Is that how you? And so you begin to think, maybe my picture of myself doesn't actually match what everybody else is seeing. Now, let's be honest. Let's have a moment of truth here. When you see a group photo that you appear in, who's the first person you look at? Come on. You don't care about anybody else in that group photo. You look immediately at yourself in that picture to see, do I look goofy? Am I stupid looking? Was I even, were my eyes open? Why do we do that? I think what it reveals is, regardless of what we may say in our rhetoric, we have this deep, essential human drive to know the truth about ourselves. We want to know what we look like. We're not always courageous enough to face it, but the truth is we really care what other people think about us. And we care not just because we're insecure or weak-minded, but we care because you can't know the full truth about yourself without an external source of feedback. If the only thing you know about yourself is what you tell yourself, you don't really have a full picture of who you are. We require other people to tell us who we are so that their information adds to our own convictions, and then together we start seeing it. We start seeing it. I mean, haven't there been people who you just want to say, look, I appreciate you have a lot of confidence, but you are not all that. I know, you're, you're, you're cute, but I don't suspect you're as cute as you think you are. And it just helps people kind of tone it down a notch so that they realize, look, I, I can't just walk around the world thinking of myself only. I need you to reflect back to me, what am I really like? What is the reality about myself? Last Sunday, we learned that if you want to grow spiritually, some of the things you've got to keep an eye on are you can't be too quick or you can't be too quick to speak or to get angry, but rather you should be quick to listen. What we said was you grow more from the words you hear than from the words you speak. And the person who is defensive, the person who is argumentative and angry, who can't let people speak the truth to them, that person will not grow as a human being. They will make life miserable for themselves and the people around them. It will be frustrating to share life with them. The people around you, they may be silent, not because you're great, but because it's no use trying to talk to you. You're deaf to the feedback of others. You truly believe you've seen everything there is to know about yourself, and no one can add a piece of data to that picture. And so James cautioned us last week, if you want to grow spiritually, you have to stop talking and start listening more. Because the world around you, God himself and the people of God, are revealing something to you you have to hear. He says, instead of being defensive, humble yourself and accept the word God is planting in you. Now, if that's the, the case, it's in today's text that James unpacks for us, what does it mean to receive the word of God? Whether that word comes from the scriptures or whether that word comes from the honest feedback of a loving, trusted friend or even from the conviction of your own heart. And so I want to just give you two things that I think really jump out of this passage. And you'll see right away I'm not a genius because they jump out at anybody. Okay? And the first is James is saying you've got to start by being hearers of the word. James has nothing negative to say about being hearers of the word. The thing he has a problem with are people who are hearers only. 
you got to understand it's a good thing. It's critically important that we become hearers of the word. And that's the reason many of us are drawn here this morning is we do care what God has to say. But it's important that you not just let God finish talking. you got to really actively listen for what it is that's being said. It requires a certain level of investment and engagement for you to actually hear what's being said. I think husbands are really good at um, listening kind of to what their wives are saying. But at the end, she goes, what did I say? And you're like, oh, man, I haven't had this feeling since geometry class in high school. I honestly have no idea. What you've just been saying, a lot of sounds have been coming out of your mouth, and I just started thinking about other stuff. That's not the right way to listen. What he means by being hearers of the word are these are people who are actively listening. And he's saying there's no problem with doing that. It's a very good and important thing to do. But if you are a hearer only with no intention to do anything about what you've heard, what he says is that is self-deception. It's self-deception of the highest order because what you're saying is because I've heard something and understood something, it's the same thing as being transformed by it. Have you ever met somebody who was an encyclopedic expert on just about every topic? I mean, there are guys in there who are like that. They must live on Wikipedia because you're at a Denny's hanging out. And any subject you raise, they have a little something to say about all of it. But you get the sense they know a lot up here. But not a lot of it is out there. For example, there are some guys who know everything about guns. But they don't have a gun. They don't go shooting themselves. They just play a lot of COD. I'm one of those guys. There are guys who know everything about, about a certain topic, except that what they, they do in their lives doesn't reflect it. There was a great E-Trade commercial. In the, before E-Trade started using that, that, that talking baby, uh, back in the late 90s, they ran this hilarious ad, so insightful. I, I, I wish I could show it to you, but every, every sample I found on the internet was too grainy. But it showed this, this guy waking up, and it's this really dreary, black kind of morning routine. He wakes up, and he uses a clapper to turn on his lamp, and he's chugging Pepto-Bismol, and he's psyching himself up in the mirror. He's getting on a crowded subway train and then in a crowded elevator. It's, just, it's a really unpleasant picture of going to work in America. And then he sits down at an office cube, picks up the phone. He gets one of his clients on the phone. It's Mrs. So-and-so, can I interest you in some stock? And she hangs up on him. And the caption, the punchline, and the commercials, if your stockbroker is so smart, how come he still has to go to work? If your stockbroker is so smart, how come he still has to go to work? And, and the genius of that is, if he's so brilliant at playing the market, why isn't he out there playing the market? Why is he trying to get your money? To play the market. He, every, every expert stockbroker really ought to be a millionaire, shouldn't they? And I think what that commercial was pointing out is you don't need another expert. There's a difference between a content expert who doesn't do anything with his knowledge and a person who's making good on what they know. I would take investment advice from Warren Buffett in a second. But not from a guy who's fighting for his job every morning trying to get me to let go of my money so that he can make a commission. I apologize if you're a stockbroker. I'm sure you're one of the honest ones. But do you see what we have this tendency to do is we accumulate knowledge often without any intention to do anything with that knowledge. Look what it says in verse 23. 
when you look at something, especially a mirror or the word of God, what we're supposed to do is look intently. We shouldn't place such an emphasis on being doers of the word that we just gloss over how important it is to be good and active hearers or readers or studiers of the word. Now, you've got to understand that at the time James was writing this, it was shortly after the turn of the millennium. It was almost 2,000 plus years ago, and mirrors were very different back then. Most mirrors in James's day look like this. This is a very fine uh, example of an Egyptian mirror from a little, way, a little bit before the time of Jesus. But most mirrors in that day, especially the ones belonging to wealthy people, were made of burnished, polished metal. So you can get a reasonable facsimile of your appearance by looking at it. But, you know, metal in those days, it wasn't perfectly straight. It warped a little. So if you wanted to get a real good picture, I mean, you can get a decent picture. I'm male or I'm female. I have blonde or dark hair. That kind of stuff you can get. But if you really wanted to say, hey, do I have a, a little zit right there? Or if you wanted to see that kind of stuff, is one of my eyes bigger than the other one? You've got to really gaze at that mirror for a while. You've got to study it. From this angle, then what if I turn this way? Then how about this way? And, you know, you see some people doing that every morning, right? They're really, they're, they're going to graduate school at the mirror, right? Just, and you're like, what are you looking at exactly? But they can stare at their face for an hour examining everything. Every new wrinkle, every little blemish. And what James is saying is that's the way this guy in his illustration is actually looking at the mirror. He's not finding fault with how quickly this guy looks. It's not just a glance. He's really looking. He wants to know the truth about himself. And James applauds that. We ought to really want to know the truth about ourselves and the world around us. We, we need to learn to look at things a little more intently than we do. I think that the entire population of the United States is gripped in a giant collective short attention span syndrome. It's really hard for us to really, that's, you know, think about it. We watch movies, and if you know anything about the way Hollywood is producing movies and TV shows, the camera angle changes on average every 1.5 seconds. Did you ever notice that? You never see a fight sequence filmed in one take, partly because you know, non-kung fu artists have no idea how to fight anymore, right? So in the old days, you can do a kung fu, what's up? And it's like all in one take, because these dudes are actually know how to fight. Today, all the actor has to do is this, boom. And then camera cut, and that's it. And they, they splice together all this because we can't stare at anything for very long without getting really bored. Our eyes get tired. Our minds check out. So nobody reads books anymore. I mean, how many of you have read more than five books already this year? Good for you. All right, nerds. So we have a, we have a church of nerds. But the average American is no longer reading. Why? Because there's no pictures. Because if you blur your eyes, every page of a book basically looks the same. It's white with a bunch of black lettering, and it's boring. We have lost the capacity to really look at a thing very intently. When's the last time you really looked at yourself in the mirror? I mean, really looked at yourself with open eyes and an open mind. Every once in a while, maybe once every couple months, I will actually take a good long look in the mirror. I'll make eye contact with myself. I'll freak myself out. It's always uncomfortable. I've known myself all my life, and I still feel uncomfortable looking at myself eye to eye in the mirror. But the more you do it, the more you see. 
There are some movies, some books, you don't get anything out of them until the second or third time that you're going through it. I think the Bible was like that for me. I read the Bible several times before it made any difference in my life. But when you learn to look intently at something, it's only then that the real truth starts to come out. Some of us, you could be honest, have not taken a really long, hard, honest look at ourselves in a very, very long time. And that's why it's so hard for us to believe that what others are telling us could possibly be true. How would you know? You don't know yourself very well, do you? I sometimes wonder if I know myself. If you don't look intently in the mirror, how do you know that what others are telling you isn't true? And what James argues is the guy looking at the mirror and the guy looking at the word have the same favorable thing said about them. They both really look intently at what they're doing. It's important to commit time and concentration when you want to know the truth about something. And he says, if you really look long enough in a mirror or at the Bible, you will start to know the real honest truth about yourself and about God and the world around you. Let me illustrate this through an ad campaign that the makers of Dove Soap recently ran. How many of you are, of you are familiar with the Real Beauty Sketches ad campaign? It's a, it's a genius ad campaign. Here's what they did. There's this guy um, named Gil Zamora. He's a, um, a police forensic artist from San Jose, and he was hired by the makers of Dove Soap to do police sketches of women. Here's what they did. They put a curtain behind him. He never once sees the women face to face. They sit on the other side of that curtain, and he just starts interviewing them the way he would interview a, a witness in a crime investigation, and he draws a police sketch based on their descriptions of themselves to him. Do you see what he's doing? He's drawing a picture of what you think you look like based on your own description. But see, before they come out for the sitting, they're in a green room with a random stranger, and they get friendly for about a couple hours. And then after this, this drawing, he brings out the stranger. He says, now I want you to describe this person you hung out with in the green room for a couple hours. And then what he does is he, he, he draws both pictures of the same woman, puts them next to each other, and he brings the woman in to show him, this is the way you see yourself, and this is the way a random stranger after two hours sees you. And it's amazing, as you see the women in the commercial, how much more accurate the stranger's description is than their own. Let me give you a couple examples. That's Florence on the left as she sees herself. I mean, it looks like a police criminal sketch. I mean, like, like I'd be looking for this person. She just robbed a store or something. And that's Florence is described on the right. There's Shelley on the left and Shelley on the right. And what you're going to notice is the ones on the left, they have disproportionate, exaggerated features because the person describing themselves have really focused on certain aspects of their face they don't like, that they feel very self-conscious about, and they kept talking about it. So they, they would say, I have this gigantic forehead. Well, it's a normal forehead, but they feel like compared to everyone else, their forehead is just like, like this. They're, like they can barely fit through doors. So they keep talking about how big their forehead. He goes, this has got to be an alien. But he just draws... He's drawing exactly as they describe themselves, and that's what comes out. Here's Lonnie, and here's Janice. The point of that exercise is this. When we look even at a mirror, we bring a lot of baggage to it, don't we? We don't just see what's there. 
we see what we expect to see. We, we see what pain and rejection and criticism and insult have caused us to expect to see. And that's why you won't see the truth by just a quick glance at a mirror. Each time you look at a mirror, all you're doing is reinforcing the prejudice of a negative lens you think someone else told you. Oh, you got a big nose. One person who's trying to be mean says that in the rest of your life, you walk around thinking, man, I, I have to get a second seat on the airplane for this nose of mine because it's so big. Do you get that? And so if you don't really look, it, it takes time and energy to shed the baggage you bring to a mirror. You've got to really look long and hard to start seeing the truth about what's there. And I think what James is saying is it takes the same kind of time and investment to drop your baggage when it comes to Scripture. Most of us come to the Bible really already having figured out what God's going to say to us. I know what he's going to say. I just got to forgive because what people do to me doesn't matter, but what I do to them totally matters, and it's so unfair. And We have all this baggage. Woe is me. I'm the constant victim. I always get the short end of every stick. Nothing ever goes my way. How come everyone else is richer than me, better looking than me, and married to a nicer person than me? Why, why is it? And we, we have these ideas, these negative lenses, and we bring all that to the Bible, and we assume, I know what God's going to say already, and I know why he's going to say it. Do we? Do we really have such a clear picture of what God's going to say to us and why he's going to say it? I found that it takes a lot of time and focus to really hear what God's saying past all the luggage I bring to the reading of the Bible. And so he says, invest the time, really listen, hear what mirrors and what God's word are telling you about yourself. Here's the thing. Mirrors don't lie. Mirrors don't lie. Those genes don't look good on you in the mirror. They just don't look good on you. A mirror gives you a reflection, not a judgment. It's not going, ew. It's just going, hey, you, look. That's it. If my haircut is goofy, it's goofy. The mirror isn't making it up and accusing me of being goofy looking. It's telling me, dude, you look goofy. Don't do that. You can't pull that look off. I've had a few of those moments of sober, you know, I'm not 20 anymore. I've got to not wear this. I've got to not try to act like that. And it, that's just the way it is. Mirrors don't lie, but it takes a while to see what the mirror is actually saying. And some of us, and I'm telling you right now, it's a matter of survival for you. Survival for you personally and maybe for a relationship that's important in your life. If you don't start hearing the truth about yourself real quick, you might not make it. Some of us, you know this. There have been people who care about you, and they've been saying the same thing, and in your mind, you file it away, and I wish they'd shut up already. Why don't they just get over it? Stop it. I heard you. Stop nagging me. And all the while they keep saying it, you assume they're just being annoying, not that they're trying to tell you, but you, don't, you haven't yet heard this is true of you. And if what you're saying back is true of that person, it, it sort of cancels out, right? Well, yeah, well, you want to say that to me? I got stuff to say about you. You're both right, but neither of you is listening. Think about how frustrating that is. You are both right, and neither one of you is listening. If you don't learn to sit still, stop fighting, and let a mirror or the word of God or one of God's people, just tell you the truth about yourself. You may finish your life living a lie. 
never fully owning the fact that what people have been saying to you for years is true. Some people don't wake up until the people they love leave them because they can't take it anymore. Do you know how painful it is to live with someone who's essentially deaf to everything you say, who can't hear a single thing you're trying to get them to understand? We have to learn to be good hearers of the truth. But then James very quickly turns the corner and says, but listen, after you've looked intently, don't just walk away. He says, be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. And here's what he says. I missed a slide there somewhere. But if you notice, he says in verse 25, the one who looks in... I'm sorry. Where's that? There it is. We don't want to be the ones who walk away and simply forget what we saw. The fault is not that we looked in a superficial way, but that after all that time spent getting the truth, we go, huh, that's interesting, and we just walk away. As if the whole reason we looked in the mirror is just to go, yeah, my hair really is jacked up today. I mean, when you look in a mirror and something's really off, <clears throat> you got that little fluttering booger in your left nostril, you know, just and when you see that, what do you do? When you're like, oh, and after you turn 40, often you get that runaway nose here, just, just out there. And like, what? When did that stuff start growing? I've become so good at using my fingernails like tweezers, just pow. And you, it used to hurt, but now you just, it's like every morning. It's a matter of 20, 25-year-old sexy dudes, this is your future. You just... And when you see it, you don't just go, wow, I got a really giant nose here sticking out like this. I'm just going to walk around with it all. You do something, don't you? I remember when I was a freshman in college, I used to annoy my, my table mates at the cafeteria. I used to put a little schmutz on my face, which is some food I was eating, and I'd just leave it there, and I'd just keep chewing and moving up and down with my lip. And I'd just see how long it takes for someone to say something to me. And it was amazing. For some people, the whole meal would go, they just keep looking at it. You could tell they're so distracted. They never say anything. When you see something like that, what do you do? You don't just go, huh, interesting. And then you, you do something. If you're smart, you do something. Because when you see the truth, often the truth carries with it a certain urgency of action. It's a call to action. You see this, well, well, I mean, imagine saying, you know, somebody tells you, listen, and this is serious. They say, look, I think you've got anger issues. I really think you have a problem with anger. And what if after a lot of dialogue, you realize they're right? You, go, you know what? You're right. I got a seriously bad temper. You get lost. <laughs> what, what's the point of that? You're supposed to hear... Because when you finally go, I, you're right, nobody has to finish that sentence, do they? So maybe be less angry. That would be a good first step. Maybe work on that. May, because the, the seeing of the truth often carries an urgent call to do something about the truth. And that's what James is saying to us. He says, look, the person who looks intently into the, into the law, the perfect law, by the way, that word looks there is a very interesting word. It's, it changes. The word in Greek changes. It's a word that is describing someone who stoops down for serious investigation. 
This isn't just looking intently. It's inquisitive, active looking. It's interrogation. It's really investigating the truth. He says the person who looks at the Bible, sees the truth, and then doesn't forget, but immediately does something in response to what he sees. He says the blessing of the Christian life doesn't come in understanding and agreeing with God. The blessing of the Christian life comes in doing something in response. Meaning, God does not bless the people who simply agree with him. God blesses the people who agree with him in their actions as well as their hearts and minds. And it's not that he's withholding blessing and giving. He's saying the blessing itself exists in the doing. That as you change your life, the new life that you're living will be the reward in itself. Look, when you deal with your anger issues, it's not that, oh, God, I dealt with my anger issues. Now can I get a new Ferrari? When you deal with your anger issues, your renewed marriage, your renewed friendships, your reconciliation with your estranged father or siblings or mother, that's the blessing in itself. You get back a life you thought was hopeless for you. You begin enjoying the fullness of the human experience the way it was meant to be and not the way you've made it. The blessing of the Christian life comes in the doing of Christian things. God doesn't just want you to nod your head and go, you're totally right. That's great. But it's when you actually respond in action that those blessings you long for in the night start to come. And James didn't learn that by himself. His brother Jesus said exactly the same thing. It's recorded for us in Luke eleven twenty that Jesus said, blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. The blessings of the Christian journey come when we put the word of God into practice. That's why we call ourselves, I don't know if anyone else calls us that, but we call ourselves the church of next steps. It's exceedingly important to us as a church that that's the way we look at life. God will always show you something if you're listening. Every day of your life, you can learn something from God. But that learning is not just up here. What God wants from us, what we're committed to as a church, is when God shows us something, we know that there may be a long journey ahead, but we're committed to taking the very next tangible step available to us. You know, for example, if I have anger issues, my very next step may be from now on, I give you permission to hold up like this and go, Hold up five fingers whenever you see me getting angry. And my commitment to you is I will walk away and just cool down for five seconds. I won't say a word. I won't punch the wall. I'll just time out for five seconds. I think as a grown human being, I'm capable of doing that much. I can't make my heart stop raging. I can't make my mind stop imagining punching you in the face a thousand times. But I can actually make myself go to another place and just go five seconds. One, two, three. Five deep breaths. That may be the very next step available to me. That's not the same as controlling my anger, but it's the very next thing I know I can reasonably do. And I will do that because it matters to me that I respond to the truth I've been shown. Most mountains you've got to climb are way too tall to, to leap in a single bound. We're not Superman. So those mountains will be climbed one small step at a time, but we will take them as a church together. That's our commitment to the Lord and to one another, is that whenever we see something, we will figure out what the very next step is, and we will take it, no matter how small it may seem in the bigger picture of things. 
The prophet Isaiah, writing over 700 years before the time of Jesus, reveals something very important about why God bothers to give us his word. Do you realize that so many of the ancient deities people believed in never talked to him? They were just childish, random, mercurial gods who did stuff as jokes, practical pranks on their people. Just read Greek mythology. It's like reading a soap opera script of really dysfunctional, immature people. Greek mythology is a story of deities who are jacked up beyond all imagination, incestuous, murderers. These are the gods that they worship. How stupid were the ancient Greeks? Let's devote everything to people who are bad versions of us with infinite power. Our God revealed himself to us through his word. But the prophet Isaiah told us why he does it. And this is good for us to hear, especially with all this snow. You've got to understand, if you hate the snow, that same snow, when it melts, will create a very lush and beautiful spring for us. Here's what Isaiah said about the word. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In other words, we have to recognize every time we come before God's word at church on a Sunday morning or in, in a morning devotional, whenever we sit in front of the word of God, we have to recognize one thing that's always going to be true. God does not give us his word just to energize and enrich our minds. In the same way, he doesn't send rain and snow to make the ground wet and slippery and muddy. He sends the rain and snow to produce a crop, to return something from the earth on which it falls so that there is a spiritual return on investment. That's the way you've got to think about the word of God. We often talk about, oh, I got something out of that message. And people often encourage me that way after I speak, especially when I travel to speak. People are like, whoa, you know, thank you. First of all, the most common comment is, that was funny. I didn't realize that was what I was trying to do up here. But that was really funny. Thank you. Great. And then they'll always say, and I got a lot out of that. And I very much appreciate that. I want to make the truth clear to people. But here's where I think God wants us to focus. Not so much on you getting a lot out of the word, but on the word getting a lot out of you. I don't think God wants you to walk away going, wow, that's really enriching. Thank you. My suitcase is full for the week. But to say, well, it's there. What is that word going to pull out of you? As Pastor Tim Keller says in New York City, he says, take it in and then carry it out. Take it in and carry it out. The output is as important as the input. There's another thing, and I'll I'll bring it down uh, to a landing with this. He says, the wise man who looks intently at God's word and does it and doesn't forget, he also perseveres. That word can also be translated, he continues in it. This is not a sporadic event in his life, but this is a way of living for him. He understands that the same word that brought him new life as a Christian is going to be the the word that gives him continuing new life and power to live. And he knows, he understands that there is no more reliable voice in his world. She recognizes that there is no more loving voice available. That when the person of God detaches from the word of God, all bets are off. You really are living 
on your own. You might be clever enough to make your way through several decades, but the blessings God promises will simply not be available to you because they come by way of active response to what God says. He doesn't hold blessing hostage until we jump through the hoops. What he says is, this is just the way it goes. I don't get improved physical health as a prize for working out. I get improved physical health as a result of working out. Do you understand that? And we all long for the blessings. And what James says is they only come to us one way. That you read, you hear, you receive the truth of God, and then your life begins to respond very actively and purposefully. So I haven't done this in a very long time, but let me just close with some practical reminders, things that can help you. If you, want, if you haven't written anything, this might be a good time to maybe just jot down a few things. Um, today, most people will pull out their phone. That's fine. Just don't be playing Flappy Wings or whatever that game is. We'll know if you're like this, okay? Or if you scream and throw your phone at the floor. <laughs> Here's the first practical reminder. Discipline yourself to look intently at God's word. I mean, seriously, invest some time and concentration. Don't just read it once and walk away. Really sit there for a while. Because God, who made the universe, is talking to you. Can you imagine what you might gain if you sat for a while patiently in stillness and listened? Learn to stay at it until you can drop your baggage and see what it really says, not just what you expect it to see. And look not just for the blemishes, but for the beauty in what God's saying. After you've looked intently, also acknowledge that when God gives us his word, he has a purpose and he has authority, okay? Just like he sends the rain and the snow to receive a crop, we owe God a spiritual ROI, a return on his investment in us. When we read something, it's because God wants something good to come out of our lives. And so we acknowledge, I'm not just reading to get smarter. I'm reading for God to draw out a crop, a harvest in my life. We also understand that when we respond, we're not just responding because we're trying to take care of ourselves. We don't just live the Christian life because it's good for us. We live the Christian life because God is God and he commands us. There has to be an authority component to our response to God's word. If it's to be lasting, there has to be a recognition that God is God. And that's why I'm doing what he says. Do you get that? Next, identify at least one next step. You know that, that old Chinese proverb? I think it's Chinese. A journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. I always feel smarter whenever I say that. It just sounds so profound. I feel like I should use an accent, but I'm not going to do it because that would be weird. But you understand what I'm trying to say is God will show you some things that really are too major a renovation to tackle. God might go, look, it's not just your kitchen. Your whole house is jacked up. You need a whole house remodel. I, I can't even fathom that right now. He says, why don't you start with this? Open the kitchen drawers and put some contact paper in the bottom. That'll pretty things up. It's a, it's a small thing, but it's a start. What it says is, I acknowledge my house needs a little freshening up. That's what a next step is. It's the most realistic, accessible 
tangible thing you can do to say, I've heard you. I could tell people are annoyed when they send me an email and then I don't answer back and send me another one the next day. Hey, do you get what I sent you? And I recognize I've made a mistake. It's courteous to say to somebody, hey, thanks for what you sent me. I got it. Even if you can't act on it right away, that's the very next step is, look, I acknowledge you did something. I got it. Thank you. Do you get what we're saying here? The next step is something that just tells God, I heard you. Here's something I know I can do today. In fact, it's your immediate response in the next five minutes that determines whether what you understood will change your life or not. The blessing comes in the doing of the truth. And let me give you the last thing. Lather, rinse, repeat. It just means don't do it once and go, yeah, I, I Christianed this week. You know, I... <laughs> I did something. That's great. That's, that's great. Um, it's like, like a little kid going, I'm three years old. Great. And then what? What else is true of you? Like, <laughs> you, you know, like they learn how to do this, and that's great. But over time, you don't want to stay there, do you? What you want to say is, look, this is not just something I did once. I'm learning that the blessings I long for come to me when this pattern, hearing, listening intently, Seeing something, understanding the light dawns and I go, I see myself, I see God, I see the world clearly. And then I do one tangible thing to respond to what I've understood. And that pattern will produce a new life. It will bless you. And you have a choice here whenever God gives you his word. James says you could either deceive yourself or bless yourself. The only difference between the one who's deceived and the one who's blessed is whether they do or do not do something in response to the truth God reveals. So it's my prayer for us as a church that we will be a church that when God stoops down to give us his word, will always make it our habit to do something, no matter how small, how seemingly insignificant, to say to our God, I have heard you. I'm done fighting you. I want to start growing. I want to start changing. So help me, God. Can we bow together? I've done this a couple times before. Let's try it again. I'd like to just see, because I, I wanna, I'm always trying to learn from people. I, I want to see if there's anybody in our church this morning who feels that they've walked in here morally perfect, uh, nothing, in, no flaws or blemishes in their character, everything they do is right. Would you please just stand up? I, I want to know who I need to be discipled by. I'm always looking for a good teacher. If you just, there's nothing wrong with you. Everything is perfect. Everything you do is right. Every position you hold is true. Would you please stand up? Identify yourself. Okay, all right. So <laughs> you can see that coming a mile. I, I can't. I have to sit down at that point. There's nobody who can say that. So that means God has something to say to each of us that we need to hear. That if we're not actively listening, we're going to just keep walking without acknowledging it. There's no one in this room perfect. And so God has something to, to say, to teach, to reveal to every last one of us. Here's the big question. Are you listening? Are you open? Can even God tell you 
what you need to see about yourself. Some of us, we're so dug in, only God has a chance at opening the eyes of our heart. You've been shutting everyone down, what I call soul quando. Everyone's trying to touch your heart with the truth. And you just blocking every single time someone tries to tell you. You're just blocking and blocking and blocking. They're trying to bless you, not attack you. But maybe you're at a place now where only God can break through. So why don't we be wise this morning and say, God, if, I'm, if that's where I am, if only you can break through, would you do that right now? I'm listening. Sure, I won't always like what I hear, but I'm listening. Will you show me what the truth is about myself and about you? So let's pray that for a minute. Just really be quiet and still and listen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.